Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. This is message number two of our John's Letters series. Uh, I hope that you had an opportunity to go back. If you didn't watch last week or you're visiting this week, um, go back and watch last week because this series more than most builds on you know the previous message. But go back also and watch the um, the Bible Project video summary of the letters of John. It's just so power packed. I've watched it more and more and more, and I get I get more out out of it every time. This is also kind of blending with my how to study the Bible classes that I'm going to do on the next couple of Wednesdays. So what I'm going to do today, we're going to, I'm going to show you the resources and how to do this stuff for yourself on Wednesdays, and then maybe we'll pick a couple of passages and kind of exegete them together or go deep, do a deep dive into, you know, how to get more out of it than just the face value. The, the Word is alive. You don't have to use all these tools. You don't have to go this deep because the Spirit is the teacher. And you can read something, you know, in fact, I would even give a caution to leaning too much on the academic side of biblical studies, because a lot of people will just say it's only scripture, but it's like, well, it's also the Holy Spirit. I like to say, give the written word the opportunity to become the living word, because you can know it, right? If you know the scripture you might not know how the Spirit would apply it. Because if you look at Jesus, he seems to contradict the law. But he's not really. He just understands that the law was meant to reveal sin and then mercy to be applied. God desires mercy greater than sacrifice. Everything that God has ever put into place, law, anything, has always meant, was always meant to be applied in love. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus showed us how to use the law to reveal truth, reveal sin, and then apply love. And love isn't permissiveness. It's just, let me show you what's in your heart so that we can get down to the deepest part of who and what you are so that we can heal that and bring you to the Lord, bring you to God, bring you into a place of cleansing and sanctification through the word, through the truth, right? It's the word of truth that, can, that will convict you, but then also bring you to that merciful place of faith righteousness. Amen? So these, I say that because these passages, these particular letters have been used more than most to cause people to question their salvation. In other words, well, if you're saved, you shouldn't sin anymore. And if you're sinning, maybe that's an indication that you're not actually saved. You ever lived in that circle? You ever been caught in that wheel? And, and that is not, so at a face, at a legalistic reading, you can make it say that, but at a understanding of using that to reveal what's in your heart and then apply in love, right? Because Jesus, Jesus is with the woman at the well. He's with the woman caught in adultery. It's not that they got away with it. It's not that the woman caught in adultery got away with it. She just experienced who God really is because he's still challenged her and he still charged her with not continuing in sin, but he showed her mercy. See, the reason that Jesus could stand in front of her 
and change what she legally should have experienced was because he was the condemnation for her sin. He became the curse. And the fact that he was there, he had the authority to represent God's justice for her in that moment. And the legalistic mind says, well, then people are just going to sin. It's like, well, then you don't understand what grace is. And so then that gets really shoved way down the line into a legalistic presentation to say, well, if you're sinning, then you're, you, maybe you're not saved. Have you, ever, have you ever considered that you're not saved? I say that sarcastically, but I'm telling you, it's used. And it scares the living daylights out of people. And it causes people to go down and get reborn again over and over and over and over. And it's probably happening this morning at certain altars all over the world. Oh, man, I messed up last week. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe this week, maybe this week will really be the week that I get saved. Oh, I sinned again. Maybe I'm not saved. I'm telling you, there are people locked up in mental institutions scared to death that they committed the unpardonable sin. I mean, there was a study done one time, something like seven. Once you really get down to the, the root of people's psychosis, and there are legitimate issues. There are legitimate imbalances and disorders and neurological issues and all that kind of stuff. But about 75% in this particular study of people in institutions believed that they had committed the unpardonable sin, and it was a high contributing factor to their mental situation. Their, their neurosis or their delusions or whatever, it, it, it contributes to that. I'm telling you, people freak out over wondering if they're saved or not. And I'm making a big deal about it because these passages that we're about to go through this week are used to do that to people. And if you read it, and I, we're not actually going to get there today, but this is one of the reasons why I wanted to say, I, I said, read the whole, at least First John. There's just a few chapters. At least read that every week so that you kind of know what's coming and then we can kind of do a little bit deeper dive. But ultimately, at the end of this, John writes and he says, I'm writing this to you so that you would know that you're saved. It's an assurance. of This is a letter to assure you of your salvation, not to be used to make you question your salvation. And when you understand the heart and who God really is and propitiation then you know that you can peacefully rest in the salvation that the Lord has given you. And then from that, yield to His love for you to walk in the light, which is two things, in love toward people and not practicing sin. So there's two different issues that he's talking about. Love people. Walking in the light is walking in love. And he also addresses the sin issue. And, and we confuse it by saying, Walking in the light is being sinless. Well, it's not because he then can, urges you to confess your sin. And we talked about last week, there's two applications for the confession of sin for the unbeliever to confess and get born again. And it's not that the confession causes you to get born again. It's the blood of Christ that causes you to get born again, which he reiterates. But the confession is to acknowledge that you need him, right? It's a born-again experience. But for the believer... There's also a need for confession, not to go back to the altar to get more forgiveness from God, which he, we're going to go into. If I'd shut up, I could read the scripture to you and you'd see for yourself, but I'm setting it up. Not to go back to God to get forgiven again, because you are forgiven, but so that you would experience the forgiveness that he's already given you. Ready? Here we go. All right, 1 John 2. 
verse 1, and I'm in the New King James. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Don't sin. And if anyone sins, wait, what? Don't sin. What if you do? You know, the, the, the anti-hyper-grace preachers, like they don't know that this is in Scripture. Because really this is a focus of New Covenant, grace-focused, love of God-focused churches, ministers, pastors, whatever, teachers, really just the gospel. It, it, this is the paradox. Don't sin. But if you do. Now, does that sound like, eh, it's okay to sin? And some people, it, it sounds like that. All right, so what's the solution? My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. What things? Chapter 1, walk in love, walk in the light. Don't, and I'm not going to go back. So, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, what does that mean, an advocate? He's there representing you. And, and I don't want you to have this picture that God is angry at you and Jesus is there holding him off. God, don't, you know, Jesus is like, don't be angry at him, God. Don't be angry at him. That's not it. It's, it's just that he, it, if you look at it in terms of justice, you have the judge looking at the evidence of your righteousness, which is Jesus. Not an angry God sitting there waiting to punish you and Jesus is holding them off. You have, an ad, you have an attorney, you have an, a lawyer, you have a high priest. You have one that is representing the testimony of your righteousness before the judge, who then gets to be the father because he judged Jesus for you. That's the advocate. You can be sure, you can rest easy that the judge will not judge you because the advocate has been judged for you. Now, does that make you want to sin? I hope not. It's time to grow up if it does. Amen. Like if you think, oh, praise God, I'm not going to be judged, man. Whew. Been really wanting to go out and commit murder. <laughs> or, or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, really? Like that's... that's... <clears throat> I, I, I do the... <laughs> because of the emails that I get. <laughs> you said this. You said this, yeah. You have an advocate with the Father. God is not angry at you. God's not sitting there keeping track of your sins to judge you one day. Bethany texted yesterday. I'm so proud when you guys have these kinds of conversations. <laughs> that was, that was, I was not meant. It was like perfect timing. But she texted. She's like, what does it mean for the final judgment for the believer? And it's like, well, the final judgment is at the resurrection when everybody goes before him and, the, and believers go before the judgment seat of Christ for reward. You, your works will be judged, but not for righteousness sake. Your works will be judged for reward. And there is some wood, hay, stubble that gets burned up. I personally think it's that stuff we've been still holding on to here or maybe those, that self-righteous stuff that we do that we think we should deserve a reward for. You know, I, we don't really know what the reward system is like, but we do know this. On the day, on the, at the end, from now throughout eternity, God will never judge you for your sin because Jesus has been judged for it already. And for the entire world, actually. 
as we're about to see. Now, does that mean everybody's saved? No. You still have to be born again. You still have to express your faith in the finished work of Christ and be cleansed and be made new into a new creature, you know, through that experience. All right, so. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. Like if we grasped the concept of that, you know what that means? That means that God is sitting on his throne looking toward the world with affection for every soul. Looking from the mercy seat, looking toward the world, seeking who he can show himself, you know, powerful and merciful toward. Not because people are using Jesus to get away with sin, but because he's already dealt with the issue. So if you look at verses 1 and 2, go back to verse 1 for me if you would, please. This is a legal proclamation, spiritual legal proclamation, that you can rest assured in your salvation because of what Christ has done for you. We have an advocate with the Father. That is a legal term. Next verse. And it's directly tied to this. He is the propitiation. So the advocate himself is the propitiation. In other words, so propitiation means the satisfaction of penalty and the satisfaction of anger and wrath and judgment. So propitiation, Jesus is our advocate because he was our propitiation, which leaves you in a place of right standing before the Father. It's really pretty simple, but it's very profound when you understand what's actually legally being said in these particular types of passages. And we just kind of gloss over these things. And we create circumstantial theology because we think that if you're sinning, well, maybe it angers me. It honestly angers me. Good, well-meaning people have sat in my office telling me what they're former pastor told them that made them question if they're actually saved or not. And I'm like, well, how do you get saved? Through the blood of Christ. Period. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I have a note here. Don't use your freedom as an excuse for sin. And don't stay stuck in your sin either. If you're not walking in the fruit of your holy state in the Father, it's not because you need to become more sanctified or holy or get born again again. It's because you have forgotten you're forgiven. So this is a book that says, look, God loves you. You know, he starts off, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've talked to him, we saw him after the resurrection. We've seen him. We are firsthand witnesses of him. And he is your righteousness. He is your propitiation with the Father. And he is your eternal advocate. He is the testimony of your, righteous, your righteousness. Like if God sends you as, an unbel- as a believer into the outer darkness, then Jesus has to go too because Jesus wasn't enough. I mean, that's how serious this is. But so... Put a period there and then look at this because, because again, we're talking about the, what we're about to go into is the idea that if you continue sinning, then maybe you're not saved. I want to read this in 2 Peter 1, and we're going to go 5 through 11. But watch this. 
<clears throat> but also for this very reason, and I taught on this, I don't know, not too long ago, but the last verse is what I'm really getting to, but it sets up and it's tied to the idea, a surety of salvation, you're forgiven. Now display godly character, and if you don't display godly character, it's not because you might not be saved, it's because you have forgotten that you're forgiven. Okay, so here we go. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, you know, and again, this is almost another area of fruits of the Spirit, and to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, all things that should be expected from a believer, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will, neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there for just a second. Verse 8, if you feel a lack of knowledge of what God is doing in your life, it's related to not having these fruits in your life, but it's paradoxical. You don't do these things and then God gives you the reward of knowledge or reveals to you what it is. It's a heart issue. We're going to talk more about the heart next week because we're going to go into that verse in the next chapter. But So it's not that doing... but So it's like living this way means that you're yielded to the Spirit of God, which also means that your heart will be at a place where you can know his knowledge and experience him and walk in his light. So it's more, this is a heart condition issue. This is not a cause and effect. This is not an external statement of be kind, have self-control, persevere, and then you'll know God's knowledge. But it is paradoxical because living that way conditions your heart to be receptive to God. So it's kind of like this. God is standing there speaking, and if you're living toward the world, in love with the world, your heart is charged with the world and isn't going to hear God. But when you're living godly as a fruit of His Spirit, your heart is at a place to hear what He's saying. He's saying and trying to do the exact same thing in both situations, but which one is your heart more receptive in? This one. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> Next verse. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Leave it there, verse 9. Isn't that powerful? So if you're not living godly, it's because you forgot that you were cleansed. You forgot, another translation says, you have forgotten that you were forgiven, that you were forgiven. If you're not living godly, You've forgotten that you're forgiven in that area because Jesus it just, just and, and this directly relates back to 1 John 2, 1 and 2, you have an advocate with the Father who is your propitiation, which turns the judge to the Father for you, who will remind you. And so this is what confession is, is going back to the Lord and saying this is, you, confession means to say the same thing. So in other words, you go back to the Father and you, you say this. I have been, thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that you're not holding your sin against me. Thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you that I am blessed and prospered in you because I'm your child. Confession is to say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. And what does he say about it? I cleansed it. In fact, he removed the root of sin, the body of flesh mentioned in Colossians, the core of sin out of you, and put a new core in you. You're a new creature. Gave you a new heart. Put His Spirit in you with the gift of eternal life. Amen? Amen. 
It's, it's a big deal. I mean, honestly, this, this right here is the core of what I feel like this church exists for, is to help people understand and live in the power of this truth. You are not a sinner by nature. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of these spiritual legal actions that, were, that took place. And this is, you're standing before the Father, and it will not change. Now, I suppose you could say, I don't want it anymore, Lord, and walk away. There seems to be warning to continue in the faith, but you don't just accidentally slide into that. You don't just accidentally slip up and fall into deadness again, right? Uh, forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Next verse. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Now, I'm not going to go into all that. Calvinistic language would cause you to think that the elect are the only ones that have the opportunity to get saved and everybody else is going to hell no matter what. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard that teaching, but it's true. Some people will teach that you are the elect and you're not too bad for you. You don't even have a chance. Okay. So that's not what it's talking about. The election is you have, you have, God's elected everybody in a sense. I'm not going into it. So let's keep going. That's the difficulty of doing a verse by verse on a Sunday morning. You don't get to go super deep. But, so it, but I do have a series on the website about Ephesians where I go into that in, in more detail if you're interested in that topic. So let's keep going. Uh, for so entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so let's go back to 1 John 2, 3. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot. I love doing this. If Don't feel the pressure and to feel like that you have to be like a biblical scholar. I don't really consider myself a scholar. I just know how to use some tools, and I love to do it, and it, and, and it, it's part of my gifting in the body of Christ to do this stuff and, and make it clear so that we can rest in it and then live from it. But if you don't have the desire to do all this deep study stuff, it's fine. That's why we have church. It may not be your calling, your place in the body, the grace for you to act in, that, in the body that way. You know what I mean? Yours might be to play or to prophesy or to give or to go out or whatever it is. You know, I'm just doing my part. But don't, my, don't let my part create pressure for you. Does that make sense? Okay. Verse 3. <clears throat> so now by this, by what? We know that He is our advocate. We know that He is our propitiation. We know that God, the judge, is our Father now, and our sin will not be held against us. In fact, that is the message that we are to go into the world with in 2 Corinthians 5. To the world we are to say this, God is not holding your sin against you. Be reconciled to God. That's the message. Verse 3, now by this, the gospel, we know if we keep his commandments. Uh-oh, this sounds conditional. If we keep his commandments. Now, just so you know, what are his commandments? And it actually, he actually goes into this in the next chapter. We may or not, may not get there today, but I just want to make it clear. If we keep his commandments. He says them in this particular book, but what are his commandments? Love God, love people. However we say it, love God, love people. Those are the commandments that he's talking about. And this whole book is around that. Know God's love for you. Allow that love to actually 
penetrate you to the degree that it causes you to live worthy of the holiness that you've been given and love others. And in this, the world will believe, as John, Jesus prays in John chapter 17. So if we keep His commandments, He who says, I know Him, and the word know is the Greek word nosko, and for their, their definition of this word, it's not just, oh yeah, I met Him. It's an experiential knowing. It's an active experiencing, an active filling of the Spirit that is within you. Golly, it's almost time to stop. For who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Well, that's warm and fuzzy, John. <laughs> but that language is in there, right? It's like he's serious about this stuff. If you're not exper- if you're not wa- if you don't know that God loves you, you're not walking in love toward people. You know. Now, this is specific to some of the things that were going on in their their church. Because remember from that the video and just the audience that who he was speaking to was there was a deception. There were false teachers that had come in and were teaching people to try to pull them away from Jesus, and they were mean. In fact, Second uh, John and Third John, I think Third John, which is just a one-chapter letter in this particular group of letters, is to a particular guy who's dealing, uh, like the pastor of a house church, who's dealing with the guy that's being a jerk to the people in that house church or in that region. Like, it's a specific letter for that. So... I think he's addressing specifics in terms of whatever this guy was doing. You know, anybody know any religious jerks? <laughs> I'm sure we can all adopt that label at times, but anyway. So he tells you what those commandments are later in this letter, which we'll get there. So, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected or mature in him. God's not after perfection. He's after maturity. And specifically the maturity of his own spirit in you, which means your heart has to be receptive to his spirit to allow maturity to be developed because you can't be perfect. I want to ask, but I'll wait. (laughs) He, verse 6, he who says he abides in him, and that abides is kind of a, a key back to the word know and the word mature. Abiding is an active sense, right? Um, and we'll look at that in this How to Study the Bible, the tenses of these verbs. We're going to get to one that's pretty deep in the tenses issue. So uh, let's see, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning, the old commandment, which is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment. So it's old and new. I write to you which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I mean, I kind of have an idea what that means, but then again, I have no idea what that means. It's like, we're doing pretty good here. I make it. This is, this is all clear. This is direct. But then he waxes poetic, and it's like, oh. You know, but, but I think they do that. I think God inspired these authors to do that to kind of get you into that heart space. This is, it's, almost a, it's almost a statement to invoke a meditative experience with the Lord. What does that mean that the light is already shining, you know? It, just, it, it appeals to a different type of hearer, 
but then also appeals to your spirit and that heart realm, kind of causes you to think a little bit deeper, you know. So I don't know that you can put a specific pinpoint on that. You probably could in some ways, but this is one of those where it's like the diamond has many facets and you turn it and it means this and it means this and it means this. And if you have somebody that says, well, I know God showed me what this means, well, it might mean that for that person at that time. But this is the, the part about Scripture that you've got to know. There is some poetry in there. And poetry is expansive. It's, it's, it's not definitive. It's open. And it's not that the Bible is open to interpretation. It's just that the application is different in different settings. And so you might read this on one day and get an answer based on that, that you apply this way in a totally different way. You apply it this way. Does that make sense? So, you know, and that's the problem with legalistic Christianity. It looks at the word and sees the doctrine, but then applies it rigidly every time. Like, like, you might see a description of God in the Old Testament that he, that he has the capacity to control everything. Like, God shows up and he's describing himself. I can do anything that I want whenever I want. But then you read how he actually applied that power and that sovereignty in that moment, and it's merciful. Right. You know, so he stands up there and he's, you know, he's like, I am this. This is this. These are my credentials. This is the power that I have. But then you look at the application in that specific story, and it's merciful. You see that? All right. So we're we're interested in application, not just doctrine. Verse nine. He, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. I love this picture. And, and, and hate is related to offense. It's related to trauma. You know, it, it's the... the, the when a victimhood mentality gets installed, even if it's just, especially when it's just, watch out because you will have lots of opportunity for stumbling within your own heart and your own life. There are whole cultures that have been horrifically uh, persecuted and treated unjustly in our society, all over the world. I don't care where you go. On the planet, all minorities have experienced persecution and are presently dealing with an imbalanced system all over the planet. All minorities are experiencing that. Some situations, it's way more extreme than others, and I'm not trying to smooth all that stuff out. I'm just trying to make a general statement about the mentality of what we're talking about here. Um, but that, that's why we have to teach believers to live from the heart or, or get your heart in a position where you follow the Spirit inwardly because externally it will never be fair. Life is not fair. There is no system that will create a sense of equality of outcome and fairness that will satisfy the desire of your heart to be fulfilled by the Spirit of God and His fruit birthing through you. Amen? Okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. I said enough last week. I don't know if you heard that, but I heard from some of you. All right, just a, just a, little, just a little bit more. <laughs> uh, 
he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That was verse 11. So the next part is just kind of like, this is a literary, verse 12, this is kind of a literary technique. Everything that he's about to say actually applies to everybody. It's it's kind of like the Beatitudes of Jesus, you know, blessed is, blessed is, blessed is. The blessing applies to everybody but he's kind of using specific people groups to draw certain illustrations. I forget the literary term for that. Maybe we'll, I'll look it up for the How to Study the Bible series. But So, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven and, your, and you, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Verse 12. You could just sit and meditate on that. And is that just for little children? Some of y'all are old. It's for you too. You see my point. All right. Verse 13, I write you, fathers. Does this apply to mothers too? Because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write you, young men. Is this for old men too? Because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. He's kind, of, he's kind of preaching, you know. He's just kind of putting, putting a finer point on what he just preached. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in it. So this is another warning. Still dealing with love, still dealing with sin, but now he's talking about how are you relating to the world? What are you looking to for your fulfillment? You know, what do you turn to when you're feeling pressured and you're feeling stressed and life isn't fair and it's not working out for you? What do you turn to? Are you looking for the world to make it fair for you? Are you, are you looking to God to bail you out and call it a miracle? Hello. Do not love the things, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of life is not the Father, but is of the world. Now, again, the Father is not in him. That even of itself has been used. Well, it looks like my summation is you're loving the world. The Father's not in you. Like counselors, tell people that. Looks like you're loving the world to me. I don't think you have the Father. It's not said that directly, but it's said. You ever been in that kind of counseling situation? You should have kicked him in the teeth and run. (laughs) Verse 17, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, in the last hour, uh, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from, um, from us, but they were not of us. So again, he's talking about some of the specific issues that they had. He's like, you guys are looking for a specific thing to happen? Well, I'm telling you, it's already happening in some way. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us, but they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. He's talking about these deceivers and false teachers. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I I could 
do a couple of weeks on this. You know all things. Let me just kind of expand. This is the last. I'm going to expand on this, and then we're going to be done. So, band, get ready. Went a little bit longer. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have been smeared by the Holy One. God has given you His Spirit. God has made Himself one with you in your spirit eternally. Those are all the, that's all the same thing that he's saying here. And, you, and because of this, you know all things. Now, there is nothing that God knows that you aren't privy to. You don't have to ask God for information because you have His Spirit. What you have to do is make your heart sensitive to His leading. Now, you might not know everything God knows in your mind. You know what I mean? But His Spirit is joined to you, and you know all things. I know that's kind of contradictory there. But again, this is one of those that's like, man, I know all things. You know, you might know some people that think they know everything. <laughs> here's, here's my point. I wrote this down. God is not withholding information from you. you. You ever heard people, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? Well, he'll tell you. You don't have to look at an external circumstance and then try to figure out what God might be doing. You have a spirit. You have an anointing. You know all things. He'll tell you. God is not the author of confusion. In fact, trying to understand God's will by discerning external circumstances is like the least effective way. Yes. You know, rather than God, what do you do? Not, rather than seeing a circumstance in front of you and then looking at God on the other side of it and trying to see Him through it, it and understand, He's with you looking at it. And it's like, well, that happened. God, how should I see that? How do you see that? How should I see that? Not, God, what are you doing? He might be doing something, but he's not going to violate his character. He's not going to violate the fact that you stand forgiven in him. He's not withholding information from you. He doesn't want you confused. He doesn't want you stumbling in the dark. He doesn't want you trying to be like a rat in a maze trying to find the cheese, and he's going to say, well done, you passed the test. The way God tests you, and we've gone through this in the past weeks, God tests you internally. He provokes your heart to whether or not you're going to be in faith toward Him. Not, let me put a stumbling block in front of you and see if you stumble or if you jump. That's just not who He is and not how He works. You know all things. You don't ever have to stay in confusion. And in, in, in the next chapter, actually the chapter after that, he goes into this idea that when you walk in love and when you know God's love for you, even if your heart condemns you, God's bigger than your heart. And when you walk in that love, you have confidence to receive anything that you ask for. Right. You can have confidence. Amen. I love this book, because this letter, because that's what he's about to say. And, that, and that's, you know, it's difficult to parse it all down. And, and I'm looking at time, so... You know, a surety of salvation, and God is not trying to allow you to stumble around in the dark to try to figure out His will. Right. If He doesn't want you confused, He will speak to you. If you want to hear Him, you should live well within the righteousness and the holiness that He's given you 
with the list of things that he's given you, not to try to do those things that get him to talk to you, but to live that way so that you eliminate the stumbling blocks that sin puts in there inwardly that cloud his voice in your own heart. Live well so that you stay sensitive to him, not to keep him happy or to keep him from judging you. Live well within that holiness so that you stay sensitive and you, and you are led by him. Whether you intellectually experience it or not, there is an intuitive way of following God that transcends God. Okay, I've got the information. Now I'm going to go. It's like, you know, I, I don't know that the last time I asked for information from God as much as I asked, help me be and deal with whatever it is that's keeping me from hearing you in this situation. There's something in me that I've allowed to take root that is clouding my vision and in ears of your voice. Help me deal with that, whether I even know it or not, so that I eliminate that internal stumbling block that's blocking myself from following you in this situation. Shape me, mold me. Not, God, change my heart. You know, there's a difference. It's paradoxical again. You know, it's like pray for God to change your heart, but don't pray for God to change your heart. Pray, you know, it's like be willing to take the personal responsibility to co-labor with him to make those adjustments into who he would shape you into. Not just, you know, well, you said you'd do it. Come on, big boy. When are you going to do it? I mean, that's, we provoke him, you know. We sit back and we keep ourselves closed off and then we judge him for not doing it. It's a collaborative effort. You got to be willing. You got to keep that heart open. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this hard journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.